And even if you've never heard of him, your kids have. His first solo album, America's Most Wanted, has sold over one million copies, and that's just by word of mouth. The radio stations won't play it. Too vulgar, too angry, too violent. Don't try to apprehend him. You can't with the criminal. Rapping over gangster shit. First I load the clip and then I make the hit. Ice Cube sees himself as a social commentator. His music is a chronicle of the killings and the drugs and the poverty in parts of black America. I like to show the black community, you know, I like to hold a mirror up to them and say, look what you're doing. Look, how can you get yourself out of this situation or do you want to get yourself out of this situation? All you motherfuckers in Houston is most wanted. You sing a lot about violence in the community. Yeah. You've seen violence firsthand? Most definitely. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. And thank you for subscribing to the latest edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. I'm 12 Kyle. Check this out. On this podcast, we're going to take it back. We're going back 30 years. May 16th, 1990. On that day, Ice Cube released his solo debut album, America's Most Wanted. An album that would be lauded by many as a hip-hop classic. And we're going to take a look at the album take a look at some of the things that surrounded the album obviously we'll talk about the production and the actual tracks and we'll actually break it down and try to figure out if this album is deserving of the coveted five mics in the source magazine so sit tight after the break we'll present to you america's most wanted 30 years later Welcome back. Thanks again for checking out the latest edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. Uh, As I mentioned in the intro, this album is actually turning 30 years old. Uh, The album was released May 16th, 1990. And when I think about America's Most Wanted coming out on that particular day in that particular year, uh, it makes me feel old. It makes me feel real old because I can actually remember going to the record store to purchase this album. And I didn't want to, uh, you know, get a copy from someone else. I wanted to have my own tape. I bought it on cassette tape. And uh, I just remember one of the things that stood out to me about that time was that like we were really fiending for music and we really, really gravitated towards just about anything that was coming out. One of the things that was interesting about that time was that uh, hip hop or rap, what we call it back then, (laughs) rap was changing. Uh, It didn't necessarily look how it did in the 80s. Uh, It was starting to change as far as how it sounded from the 80s. And so, in my opinion, I don't think that was a bad thing. I think you started to see, uh, you know, artists and MCs that were a little bit more lyrical um you started to see you started to see artists a little bit more harder um 
you also started to see uh, just a, how hip hop was shifting. And I think, you know, when you look at some of the albums that came out that particular particular year, uh, you look at albums like uh, Fear of a Black Planet from Public Enemy, um, People's Instinctive Travels and the Pass of Rhythm by Tribe Called Quest, their first album, uh, One for All, Brand Nubian, uh, Mama Said Knock You Out by LL Cool J, uh, EPMD Drop, Business As Usual, Gangstar Drop, Step Into the Arena, um, Karis One Drop, Edutainment, uh, let's see who else. Um, I'm trying to go off the top of my head. Oh, Digital Underground dropped Sex Packets. Uh, Ice Cube would later drop in that year, drop an EP called Kill It Will. Airbnb Rakim dropped uh, Let the Rhythm Hit Him. And of course, uh, Please Hammer Don't Hurt Him <laughs> came out in 1990 uh, from my man MC Hammer. So it was a lot of stuff, man. I mean, NWA released 100 Miles and Running. Um, it was a lot of stuff that came out that particular year. So just to give you an idea and some context, hip hop was, you know, changing in, in the way that it looked. But uh, in my opinion, one of the best albums to come out that year. In fact, I think it's the best album of the year uh, is America's Most Wanted. Um, you know, one of the things that we knew going into it was that this was going to be Ice Cube's solo out. And. I guess with context, I have to kind of explain this, but there was no internet. So we did know that Ice Cube had left the group. Um, I think, I think I read it like in a write on magazine or something like that, but, um, shout out to write on magazine. Uh, but yeah, Ice Cube had left NWA. I mean, they're riding off the success in the heels of, you know, straight out of Compton. And, you know, if you're familiar with N.W.A.'s story, you know that Ice Cube did not get paid and was not getting paid what he thought he should be getting paid. And obviously he decided to take his talents elsewhere and go solo. And you, and you couldn't really blame him, I mean, because uh, Ice Cube was the backbone of N.W.A. And so subsequently he moves on. Now, history will show that we've seen up until that point, we had seen uh R&B acts and people leave and go solo. You didn't really see a lot of hip <laughs> You didn't see a lot of you didn't see a lot of hip hop people leave a group and then go be solo. In fact, I would venture to say at, at for my memory and someone could could correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Ice Cube's the first guy that I can remember to be in a group and then to go solo. And then also have the type of success that he would have because we just didn't know how it was going to look. So nonetheless, we get worried that Ice Cube is going solo. OK, cool. And but we don't know how the album's going to sound. And, you know, to his credit, even though he had left N.W.A., Ice Cube actually wanted Dr. Dre to produce this album. But he talks here about what actually happened and how he got to the bomb squad. I was so much fans of of East Coast hip hop that you know I had a favorite producer, Dr. Dre, and then my, all my other favorite producers were East Coast producers. Mm-hmm. So uh, when when Dre couldn't work on the record, I was actually looking for Sam Seva. Sam Seva did the beats for Third Base. Mm. You know, what I mean, Third Base was blowing at the time. Yeah. So I was I was in Def Jam looking for Sam Seva. Chuck D walked through. I started talking to Chuck about my situation, and he like, yo, 
once you come down to Green Street Studio, me and Big Daddy Kane doing a record called Burn Hollywood Burn. Mm. And you can jump on that and let people know you're going solo, and then we can talk about your record. And that's what I did. And, you know, it was just... It was basically I couldn't I couldn't get the best producer on the West, so I, I went to the Bomb Squad for the best producers on the East. Now at this point, the Bomb Squad they are legendary producers, and uh, they had already produced um, Public Enemies. It takes a nation of millions to hold us back. Uh, they had also produced Fear of a Black Planet, which came out just before uh, this album did. So uh, Ice Cube wanted to you know get with the the. <laughs> the best on the East Coast. He couldn't get the best on the West, so he wanted to get the best on the East Coast. And you can't really say that you that I blame him either. Uh, but nonetheless, we didn't know how this was going to look. We didn't know how it was going to sound. And when I tell you the first time that I listened to this album, I was blown away. I mean, like, it, it just, it did something to me. And I think, when you listen to an album and it moves you and then you go back and listen to it again and it moves you in a different way and each time that you hear it you hear something different and you're hearing something that is uh groundbreaking you know it like you don't i like <laughs> i didn't <laughs> i didn't listen to it the first time and say oh this is a classic because nobody talked like that in 1990 right but i will say this much i knew i was listening to something special and I remember after I listened to it, I, I got on the phone with one of my boys, um, my boy Jay Fresh. And I was like, yo, you heard the Ice Cube? He's like, man, I got the Ice Cube. And so we were just going back and forth talking about the album. And that's how it was back in the day. And I think a lot of times uh, when something is good, particularly if you're a hip hop fan, you can't keep it to yourself. You got to tell people. So word of mouth really, really helped uh, us propel, you know, what it was that we loved about this album and we were able to tell more people about it and it just kind of took off from there but uh that was the background basically i mean like like i said ice cube did not have uh he didn't have dr dre behind him so he ventured out uh and he wanted to get the best producers that he could find on the east coast and he was a big fan of the bomb squad and they just linked up uh now, you know, with Ice Cube, you know what you're going to get as far as lyricism. But honestly, looking back on it now, and we didn't think this at the time, but you have this hardcore gangster rapper <laughs> from the West Coast. And you have these East Coast beat makers who infuse a lot of different sounds, a lot of waves a lot of different moving parts in their music but it's funky as hell but you don't you you really don't know how it's all going to mesh like i'll give you an idea like i think i heard that the bomb squad was producing the album but i i, I wasn't sure like it was it was almost like it was an urban legend i guess like it was a rumor and and again there was no internet, so there was no way for me to confirm it if I didn't read it or hear about it on the radio. And that was another thing that was um, key about this album is that, you know, it's Ice Cube. You're really not getting a lot, <laughs> a lot of radio play, uh, especially when you name your album America's Most Wanted and you have the triple K uh, in the word America. Um, but nonetheless, man, it, it was uh, it was 
just listening to it the first couple of times I listened to it, I was blown away. And I was like, yo, this is so dope. And I literally played this tape seeming like forever. And um, I mean, it goes without saying, but I'll let you guys in on a little secret. I was a huge Ice Cube fan and still am to this day. But Ice Cube was my guy in NWA. So I knew I had to support him. And I knew that he wasn't going to let me down. I didn't think it was going to sound like this. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, the album comes out and it is critically acclaimed. I mean, every publication, just about everybody who talked about it or reviewed it, and not the critics, you know, really make matters worse or better, but it was critically acclaimed and it was, you know, lauded by everybody. And the album actually gets the coveted five mic rating in the source magazine. Now, for those of you who are a little bit younger, <laughs> the source magazine was like the quote unquote hip hop Bible. If you, if you got five mics, they're basically saying that your album is a classic and nobody got a class. I mean, very few albums got a classic rating and to be a, West Coast MC and get a five mic rating that was totally unheard of but it happened here and I think obviously Ice Cube's lyricism because on this album Cube is talking about everything from gang violence to drugs to you know so social and political uh, issues that we had in this country particularly in the black community and we're dealing with all of that and you know then he's doing this over this crazy production and the album, the production is one of these. Th I mean, obviously cubes lyrics are dope, <laughs> but cubes. I mean, the, the production of the bomb squad is, is unreal. And I think nobody could have predicted that it would look sound or even feel like this. Um, and for those of you who don't know, the Bomb Squad is Hank Shockley, Eric Vietnam Sadler, and Keith Shockley, Hank's brother. And they consisted of the Bomb Squad. And the Bomb Squad was a, like I said, a crazy production team that produced everyone from Public Enemy to Slick Rick um, to Bell Biv DeVoe uh, to the leaders of the new school. So just about, I mean, like they had their hands on just about a lot of production at that particular time. So again, it's an unlikely marriage and we're not really sure how it's going to work, but it sounded so good and so dope over, you know, over these records. Like we, we were all just blown away. Um, the bomb squad, like I said, they produced almost all of the album. The album was also produced by uh, Sir Jinx, um, who is ice cubes homeboy. And if I'm not mistaken, Jinx is Dr. Dre's first cousin. And so pretty much it's Jinx and the Bomb Squad that are producing this entire album. And it sounds incredible. And we even got a chance to hear from, you know, from Hank Shockley about how he got with Ice Cube when it came time to, you know, actually record this album. Working with Ice Cube in America's Most Wanted was was to me was a was a was a was a great process. And the reason why I say that is because Ice Cube had first called Green Street Studios and I spoke to him on the phone and I thought it was a joke.
because I'm sitting there going like, well, you know, he's got NWA. Why is he calling us? And so I thought maybe it was some sort of kind of setup or something. So I said, okay, let me let me let me play along with this. And then it was and it was really him. He said, yo, I'm gonna come out to to New York and we want to sit down and talk. So I said, okay, cool. And I didn't think anything of it. Lo and behold, you know, a couple of weeks later, he came out and he had bought a one-way ticket. He said, I'm buying a one-way ticket and I'm not going here until I get an album. And so for me, it's all about dedication. And so the first thing I looked and said, okay, he seems he he he's he's got the the, the energy and and the, the aggressiveness to come out here and be and like oh, I'm gonna come in and get this record. So the second thing I want to find out is okay, well, what kind of material do you have? He showed me like, I mean, nine or ten composition notebooks of rhymes. And when I saw that, I was like, wow, he he writes. And that's the one thing a lot of cats don't understand about, about you know, being an MC. The first thing I ask is, you know, somebody say, yo, I'm a rapper, boom, boom, boom. Okay, well, how much material do you have? Because if you're a writer or a rapper, if you, whatever you want to, you know, because I consider write, rappers writers, you have to write constantly. And you have to have re a ridiculous amount of information. And what he's saying there is very key. I mean, like, you have to be prepared when it comes time to you know, putting a project or putting an album together. And that's exactly what this is. I mean, this, honestly, in my opinion, this is a masterpiece of, like I said, the sounds and not only that, but, you know, the lyricism that Ice Cube has. But the production, the lyrics, it all meshes and it all comes together. And this is what hip hop was founded on. Dope beats and dope rhymes. And I think when you put those two together, it makes for a great marriage. And this album was phenomenal. Um, you know, I don't really get hung up on album sales, but just to give you an idea, uh, this album went gold in two weeks. Now, going gold is selling 500,000 copies. It went gold with no radio single. You, could, you couldn't turn on your local radio and hear America's Most Wanted. It just wasn't happening. And so to have that backdrop of that, and then the album eventually goes platinum, I think a little bit more than a month later, it goes platinum. Um, so you're going platinum in a month in 1990. That's unreal. And so, again, it's, just, it's the backdrop of how great this album actually was. It was critically acclaimed. The fans loved it. We couldn't get enough of it. And it was just, you know, the tip of the iceberg as to what we were to experience when it comes to Ice Cube and America's Most Wanted. Tell you what, this is the time for a great commercial break. Uh, we'll take a break and we'll hear from Ice Cube. And on the other side, I'll break down the track listings and we'll actually try to figure out if this is a five mic album. So sit tight. We'll be back in just a second. You know, you had everybody working at a high level. Uh, you know, I, I would leave and I would come back and, uh, you know, Chuck would have scratched something on the record. Um, you know, Keith Shockley was coming in with ideas. I would have ideas. You know, we we fought over the hook to the nigga you love to hate. You know, some people didn't think 
I should say fuck you Ice Cube on the Ice Cube record. And I was like, hell no, this is exactly where we should do it. And um, so, you know, one, your boy. And, and, and we really put our foot in everything we was doing. We was working from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. every, every night uh, for about five weeks, knocking it out. And it was so much fun, man. You know, it was like crazy. I remember James got in a fight with, with the dude that was driving us around, named Epitome uh, Scratch. Man, got to a scrap with him in the street, you know what I'm saying? Flav come out there having to break it up, man. Flav lose his keys. Yo, it's, it was crazy. And just like that, we're back. Once again, it's your boy, 12 Kyle. This is the 12 Kyle podcast. And we're talking about America's most wanted 30 years later. And again, uh, again, a phenomenal album. I, I can't say that enough. It is a phenomenal album. But as I mentioned before the break, we were going to come back and talk about the tracks. So let's get into it. Uh, the album actually starts off with an interlude or a skit, if you will. And the skit is called Better Off Dead. And that's exactly what happens. Uh, we hear Brother Ice Cube being on death row, led out of his cell into uh, the chamber to be strapped in. And uh, they ask you know, him, because he's about to be electrocuted, they ask him if he uh, you know, had any last words. And of course, in typical Ice Cube fashion, his last words were, fuck all y'all. <laughs> oh man, I love it. I love it. So that's the start of the album. Um, then we go to track two, The Nigga You Love the Hate. Um, man. First of all, the, the, the Bomb Squad and Sir Jinx killed this because they sampled Weak at the Knees and they threw in Atomic Dog from uh, George Clinton. Uh, Weak at the Knees is a song by Steve Arrington. Um, and I mean, of course, they had Funky Beat from Houdini in there, uh, Gangsta Gangsta and, and A Bitch is a Bitch, both by N.W.A. So Ice Cube actually sampled his own group or his own former group on the lead sing or actually the second, second song on the album, uh, The Nigga You Love to Hate. I mean, Ice Cube's basically just he's just coming off spitting darts at any and everybody because he had heard a lot. And I'm sure that, you know, there were a lot of people that didn't think that it was a good idea for cube to go solo. They didn't understand why he was going solo. Of course, we found out later <laughs> as to why he went solo and you can't say that you blame him. Um, but an incredible track, one of my favorite tracks, um, on the album, uh, it bangs from front to back. Uh, then we go to track three, uh, the title track, America's Most Wanted. Um, this this is verbal lyricism. <laughs> Ice Cube is killing it on this track. Again, it's produced by the Bomb Squad and Sir Jinx. And I mean... He's talking about things as far as living in the ghetto and just, you know, how much and how many how many things he has to actually overcome just to 
try to make it. And again, mad samples in this song. Um, I love it, man. Even from the gunshots in the song, it, this is a dope ass track. Uh, then we go to the, the another skit uh, with the hidden foe. <laughs> which was a popular phrase back in uh, back in L.A., uh, back in the day. And um, I like this joint, too. Um, Ice Cube had mentioned before about, you know, you know, Jinx being able to bring a lot of uh, of the energy to the interludes or, or skits, if you will. And that was something that Public Enemy and the Bomb Squad on their on that on Public Enemy's albums in particular uh, the Bomb Squad was used to doing skits or interludes that were instrumentals, but Jinx brought the idea and the energy of, you know, doing actual skits, and they have some of the best skits that you'll hear on any album that year, on this on this album. Um, then the album, the album's on it's, it's on a on a high level, and it takes it up another notch or two um, with uh, "You Can't Fade Me." Um, slash JD's Gafflin. Um, <laughs> Ice Cube is a dope storyteller, right? And I think that I'm not stepping out of bounds by saying that. I think he's one of the best storytellers we've had in hip hop. And on this one, he talks about, you know, dealing with a girl and he ends up going to her crib. And it doesn't turn out well. <laughs> oh, man. Um, he ends up, you know, getting this chick pregnant. And, well, he scoops her up, takes her out, you know, gets her, or at least has sex with her. And she says that he's the daddy. He drops his brew. <laughs> um, yeah, so in the story, basically, Ice Cube basically says that, like, hey, you know, I'm not the daddy. And she had him thinking the whole time, like, and, and she, this chick is a freak. And she had him thinking the whole time that the baby was his. And to quote Ice Cube, the baby came out looking like his next door neighbor. Um, so that was funny and another great storytelling, uh, you know, uh, rap right there. Then we go to track six, another great storytelling. And this is another one where he goes to a house and come to find out that as he goes to a girl's house, her house is a crack house. Um, <laughs> my favorite ball hit when she said, um, he said her brother came in uh, and said, what set you claiming? He was asking him what set he was in. And uh, Ice Cube said, I don't bang. I write the good rhymes. The whole scenery reminded me of good times. <laughs> Yeah, so he, he basically tells the, the story about, you know, he's going to he's going to see this chick. Um, she's got a sister who's pre who's 13 and pregnant, um, a baby walking around, you know, with a filled up diaper smelling stink, um, a mom walking in smelling. I mean, smoking a joint brothers in the gang banging. And he's looking around at this scene the whole time. And he's like, OK, I, why am I here? And he's at this girl's house and he realizes that at the end of the, the song that it's, it's, it's a crack house and the police bust in and Cube is, you know, sent to jail for being in the crack in the wrong place at the wrong time. 
incredible story. Funny, too, as well. And um, I love this joint. One of my favorite joints on the album. Uh, then we go to track seven, Turn Off the Radio. Um, another dope banger. And one of the reasons why this song is so dope is that um, at this particular time, rap was really at war with radio, black radio in particular, because... There were some acts that were getting some airplay, but not a lot. I mean, again, this album got very, I've never heard any of these songs on the radio. Um, Not during that particular time. I've heard them on mixes and stuff like that a little bit further down the road. But at that particular time, no, you didn't hear this music on the radio. Uh, But I will say this, there was, you know, there was some pushback between, um, you know, black radio and rap and so you know there were some artists or some songs and i'll use one in particular i mean like hammer hammer you know please hammer don't hurt him came out of course he had you can't touch this that was all over radio all over black radio all over white radio um all over mtv and rightfully so i'm not knocking hammer at all get your money um but you know, for the most part, rap was at, you know, uh, it was at a crossroads when it came to radio and radio did not support rap. I mean, like they would play rap, but if you got rap played on your radio station, it was probably, you know, late at night or on the weekends, on the weekends, late at night, like the times where virtually nobody would be listening, (laughs) but getting rap music played at, you know, 12 o'clock on a Monday in the afternoon, Mm. In 1990, hell no, it's not happening. Um, but turn turn off the radio was a dope song, and I think it just you know it was Ice Cube venting his frustration about you know uh, you know not being able to get play airplay and everything like that when it came to um, hip hop. Um, then we go to track eight, uh, probably my second favorite uh, song on the album, um, "Endangered Species: Tales from the Dark Side." Uh, featuring Chuck D, again produced by the Bomb Squad, Ice Cube, and Sir Jinx. Um, man, this is crazy. This is when you hear this beat. It this is vintage Bomb Squad material. Um, in this out, excuse me, in this song, both Chuck and Ice Cube are just talking about how it is being a black male in society, and it's just so tough. And it's like you can't there's there's nothing you can do like you're you're at war and you're at odds and you're basically a victim you know and you're there's really no way to turn and so when i listen to this song it resonates even to this day and it's titled endangered species because as a young black man that's how they felt and in a lot of ways that's still prevalent today then we get to the funny (laughs) we get to the funny as we move to track nine a gangster's fairy tale featuring Lil Russ um this is dope man this is this is Ice Cube having a little fun uh on this album um he's basically spinning these nursery rhymes but again it's a gangster's fairy tale so he's having a uh he's having gangster memories and he's basically kind of twisting them, uh, but it's funny and comical nonetheless. 
uh, Lil Russ acts as a child, uh, you know, basically coercing Ice Cube to tell him some, you know, gangster fairy tales before he goes to bed. And Ice Cube obliges and he, you know, he hits him off with, uh, you know, a few fables, if you will. And um, it's funny and, and comical. Uh, then we move to track uh, 11. I'm only out for one thing, featuring my man Flavor Flav from Public Enemy. Uh, this is dope, man. It's, it's only two minute long song, but uh, it, this is dope. I love this, man. Um, Flav and Ice Cube are trading bars. And, you know, Flav kind of holds his own there with Cube. So I, I like this joint as well. Um, then we go to track 11. Uh, this one was actually, it's called Get Off My Dick and Tell Your Bitch to Come Here. Uh, this one, uh, Ice Cube had already written and from what I understand was actually supposed to be on the next N.W.A. album. Well, the next N.W.A. album never came because obviously Ice Cube goes solo. But that one was written, you know, prior to, um, you know, to Ice Cube actually going to going solo. And it was, you know, part of the book of rhymes that Hank, Hank Shockley mentioned a little earlier. Um dope dope joint man dope joint um it's more of an interlude but you know it's ice cube just talking shit and that's what cube does and it's like i said it's 56 seconds long but um it's dope as well i think this one of the things that stood out to me about this album is that even though on the interlude they get you in and out so quickly that it's just little darts it they don't hold you long but they're entertaining and they're appealing and it and they don't even over a period of time they haven't you know, gotten old, if you will, or stale. Um, then the next track is an interlude called The Drive-By, and there's actually a drive-by. Now, this one's produced by uh, Sir Jinx. Um, and one of the things that I found ironic is that before the drive-by goes down, they're in a car, and there's something playing on the radio. It's Bust a Move by Young MC. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to picture some gangsters getting ready to, you know, shoot at somebody. And you're going to put in your tape deck, Young MC, <laughs> bust the move. <laughs> um, next up is track 13, the obligatory posse cut. It's called Rolling with the Lynch Mob. Now, the Lynch Mob is Ice Cube's crew. And on this one, I think, you know, everybody from the Lynch Mob gets on it and they hold their own uh trading bars and everything i think this is a dope solid song it's not as good as the others but i think um it's still worthy to be here because back then everybody had a posse cut and so when you had your posse cut that was your chance to you know for lack of better terms put your posse on and everybody would get on and rhyme and um they did their thing uh the next track track 14 uh, who's the Mac? <laughs> and I have to laugh every time I think about who's the Mac because there was a video for this song. This one, this song did make it to some airplay as far as radio was concerned, but it wasn't, it might be the, I mean, of course, in the song, Ice Cube is talking about being a pimp and Mac and the ladies. And so the song, yeah, it makes it to radio, but it's, probably the least hardest it's not whack at all i like the song love the song but it's probably the least hardest song on the album and you know it's there 
but um dope dope song as well uh next track is track 15 uh it's a man's world featuring yo-yo uh, now, Yo-Yo is Ice Cube's homegirl, and she was a part of the lynch mob. Now, she does not appear on track 13 with the rest of the crew, but she gets a solo chance to go back and forth with Ice Cube. And, then you know, it's a it's modern-day battle of the sexes, and they're going back and forth about, you know, it's a man's world and what a man can do and what a woman can't do. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, I think Yo-Yo holds her own going back and forth against Ice Cube, which is not easy to do. Um... And Yo-Yo definitely does her thing. And the album concludes with the track, The Bomb. Uh, this one also produced by Sir Jinx and The Bomb Squad. Another, another dope track. Um, this one probably, this is probably my least favorite track, to be honest. Um, a track that's still worthy of being on the album. It's just my least favorite. It's not something that I skip. It's something that I listen to, but if, of all of the tracks, if I gave, you know, if I gave it a score, I'd probably give this probably like an eight and a half. But, you know, it's still a dope, dope song nonetheless. Um, and that's the album. This album total running time is 49 minutes and 36 seconds. And so, you know, it's it's a very easy listen. It's an album that I love listening to all the time i've never grown tired of listening to this album um as i mentioned it was given the coveted five mics in the source magazine which is the highest honor that you can give that means that your album has been labeled a classic so the question is is this a classic of course it is After listening to all this, you thought you thought I was gonna say it's not a classic. This album is phenomenal. I think it's it's one of those albums where, uh, even without context, I don't think you had to have been around in 1990 to understand what it is that he's rhyming about and what he's talking about. And he's presenting, you know, street life and some of the things that we went through in that era in a way that you know still resonates to this day when you talk about police brutality and you know the police and their battle with the youth and the battle with young black men in particular and you look at it today and how it still resonates this album when you listen to it in its full context this album actually step by step predicts the LA riots Keep in mind, this album came out in 1990. The L.A. riots happened in 1992, right? So this album was groundbreaking. I think this album was foreshadowing. This album was supreme lyricism. This album was uh, incredible production. And it came at a time that, you know, might have been a crossroad for Ice Cube because, again, he's leaving the N.W.A. and not really sure how things are going to shake out. And we would later see that, you know, (laughs) he would get into a full on beef with N.W.A. And that's, you know, that's down the road. But on this album, he doesn't diss N.W.A. at all. Uh, In fact, there's really no mention of their separation. Uh, And, you know, if there was beef at this point, we don't know that there is any beef because Ice Cube specifically said that he wanted Dr. Dre to produce this album 
And this album would have been produced by Dr. Dre had it not been for, you know, former uh, uh, manager of N.W.A. Jerry Heller, who, you know, denied Dre the opportunity to you know work with Ice Cube. And so at this particular time, there is no beef, but we still don't know what this is going to look like, what it's going to sound like. And Ice Cube delivered a phenomenal album. Uh, I would encourage each and every one of you, if you have not done so in a while or if you haven't heard it at all, when you finish this podcast, take a listen. America's Most Wanted, 30 years later, it is truly one of the best albums from the 1990s. And it is indeed a hip-hop classic. That's going to do it for me. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for checking out the latest edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. I'm your boy, 12 Kyle. We'll catch you guys next time. Five G's.